I'm personally a massive fan of a diverse um, broiler diet in terms of protein meals. So mm-hmm. I see a place for insect meal in the diet um, mm-hmm. as I see a place for all kinds of um, any kind of high protein feed stuff to put into poultry feed. A whole new era of communication in the poultry industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global poultry industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista offers pioneering products and technical services tailored to the poultry industry to help them succeed. Adaseo provides nutritional solutions and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Natural Biologics is looking deeper to find the natural solutions to your poultry health challenges. DSM, helping customers with efficient, sustainable poultry production. Welcome to the Poultry Podcast Show a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global poultry industry. When it comes to raising healthy animals, you need more than the right solutions. You need the right partner who brings decades of industry expertise and a global team to put that knowledge to work for the advancement of your operation. At Fibro Animal Health Corporation, we are proud to work with you as your trusted partner. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Poultry Podcast. My name is Jason Emmert, and today we're chatting with Dr. Matthew Hilliar, who works with Tarosi Food Solutions, the third largest Australian poultry meat integrator, in the position of poultry research feed and extension. Dr. Hilliar has a bachelor's degree and a PhD from the University of New England in Australia, and he has conducted a wide variety of research projects with broilers and with laying hens. On LinkedIn, he states that his passion is to improve the poultry meat and egg industries to offer sustainable animal-based protein sources for Earth's growing population. And I think that is a passion that many of us share. So I'm very excited, Dr. Hilliard, to welcome you to the Poultry Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, to get us started, let's uh, hear a little bit, if you're okay with sharing some information about your academic journey and a bit more about your current position. Yeah, sure. So uh, coming out of um, high school, I was very keen to get to university and um, always had a passion for animals growing up on farms, um, cattle farms, but owning chickens as well. Uh, And so bachelor's in zoology is what I first applied for and um, started. And then I kind of got an idea of the career I wanted afterwards. And I don't think zoology was heading in that direction. So I changed to a Bachelor of Science majoring in animal science, keep it a bit more broad, um, keep my options open. uh, And uh, towards the the end of that, I uh, got caught talking with one of my favourite lecturers, um, Julie Roberts. She um, was really inspiring in in a few uh, lessons and I went up and had a chat to her. Uh, and um, decided to do honours in laying hens. Um, She was able to help me out with um, a project and funding and and, um, all this stuff. So it was um, quite an honour to 
to have that that one connection because that led me on to this journey afterwards. Um, So my honours was in um, net energy and laying hens um, and I really enjoyed it. It was really difficult and I didn't really want to pursue research after that. Mm -hmm. But then... um, Next next year, I was doing a PhD in broiler nutrition. So yeah. I really that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, um, I gave it a. I always had a passion in poultry, and I gave it a, a go. Um, and yeah, ended up doing a PhD in broiler nutrition in low protein diets. Um, yeah, so that was kind of the, the study part. Uh, I mm-hmm. I was tempted to continue in the lecturing space and the research space, um, but. I was more so wanting to get that industry experience. I felt like I was kind of offering advice on something I didn't really know that much about. Mm-hmm. Um, True. So I applied for a, a job in industry with Chirosi uh, and, yeah, landed a, a pretty good job for someone of my expertise um, and a passion as well, working with industry, um, applying research in the, the field. Uh, and yeah, going from there, uh, I had a short stint recently in uh, government as well, working on uh, emergency animal disease preparedness um, before returning back to my position at Cherusi. Sure, that's an interesting area um, and one that I, I'm afraid a lot of times we don't pay enough attention to that emergency yeah. preparedness. And uh, yeah. If there's an area where we've uh, failed to prepare adequately, that becomes evident very quickly sometimes. Yes, and um, especially for the whole world of the last three years, very topical about disease control and preparedness. Um, Absolutely, yeah. So um, very timely and even more timely so for poultry, especially with avian influenza. Yeah, I don't want to jump the gun because we, you know, oftentimes at the end, we'll talk about your advice, but something you said really makes me want to follow up on this. I don't want to forget to ask. And that is, uh, you know, you mentioned you had a conversation and this kind of got you to that next step. Just what are your thoughts on just how important having those conversations are? I, I strive to emphasize to students, talk to people, talk to people. Talk to people. Maybe a hundred conversations lead nowhere, but there can be one that can change the direction of your life. So I'm just curious what you what you yeah. think about that. Every opportunity presented to me has come from a conversation that I've had with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, the the uh, scholarships and that that I've achieved through the way were because I knew about them through people, or um, definitely were able to put together a better application just because of able to, to con- converse with people in similar situations. Uh, I highly recommend networking um, when possible to any students I talk to and they ask, you know, how do you get to this kind of stage in your career? Uh, networking, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's never a waste of time if you have any interest inside of you just about learning about other people. Uh, and maybe it's not something you learn that changes your career or changes your life, but sometimes it's just interesting to learn about people and oh, what they do. Definitely. Conversing is a two-way street. Uh, and so uh, feel free to walk up to someone at a conference and talk about your project or your life, but um, also listen to them because they're the ones with potential opportunities for you. That's definitely a key part. Yeah. 
That's great advice. Well, I, I suspect we'll circle back to this uh, as we finish up today. Yep. Well, great. Well, I was wondering, and you know, this is a pretty open, open topic, open kind of question, but maybe just provide some of your thoughts on, on working in industry. And I think especially uh, a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing about uh, the industry in Australia. Um, just any kind of reflections you have on that, because again, as we think about our student listeners, many of them are thinking about careers and is it academia, is it industry, is it government? So any kind of reflections on those topics I think would be really valuable. Yeah, definitely. Uh, going from research into industry was a mm. massive, massive jump uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, going Looking from PhD to postdoc in Australia um, is quite a nice salary. And so um, that kind of entry-level position in industry is not reflected the same. So uh, it's kind of a, a, a personal challenge in that respect, uh, mm-hmm. as well as the fact that you, um, you essentially are coming into the company um, that you've been accepted into at a bottom entry-level job. You are expected yes. to be weighing the chickens or um, in the field, talking to the farmers, uh, and you get a steep learning curve. And so the, um, the, the key issue I, I often have to deal with with uh, students looking at coming into industry is getting expectations um, set because uh, the key is you are an intelligent person who has been doing research um, mm-hmm. in poultry. So you've definitely got the go. You just need to get probably about 12 months. It doesn't take very long of this field experience that really accelerates you into a position you're probably looking for. Um, See it as like an internship or a graduate program, um, but it doesn't make you exempt, definitely. Right, right. And I I think oftentimes, you know, we've spent years preparing and learning, but having that mindset going out there that I still have a lot to learn and I can learn from people who are, raising the birds. I can learn from people who are mixing feed. I can learn from people who don't have the same educational background I do, but have all this incredibly valuable experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, The first role I did coming into industry as part of my experience was a serviceman role, uh, which is Mm -hmm. essentially assigned um, a couple dozen broiler farms that are your responsibility, Mm -hmm. making sure everything's going well. Um, and across those couple dozen broiler farms, you've got hundreds and hundreds of years of experience of people in the field dealing with the chickens um, real time. And so and in your day-to-day, you're capturing um, all these different farms as well. So uh, your experience grows quite quickly too. It's just a matter of accepting, you know, it takes time, uh, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I think your comparison to to an internship or or field experience that's spot on. I mean, those things exist to help us learn more about what skills are needed and about particular jobs and and opportunities. And that's just a part of the process. Whether you have a bachelor's degree or a high school diploma or a PhD, there can still always be that next step of learning and, and preparing. Uh, but sometimes we just want, you know, I want it quick. I don't have the patience to do that kind of stuff. And, and that's a shame. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, you won't run the company the first year out of uni. No, <laughs> no. And the older I get, the more I understand, 
yeah, I'm not sure that I want that. <laughs> That's, yeah, exactly. Uh, there, exactly. There are people cut out for that and people cut out for lots of different things. And, right. and uh, as you get older, and I think even as you transition from research into uh, an industry position, you probably learn a lot more about your strengths and um, areas of growth and just things that you enjoy and things that you that you see that you don't enjoy as much. It's It's quite a learning process. Definitely. And I'm a strong believer in um, a PhD doesn't necessarily give you expertise in that particular field that you're studying. It's also training and development and problem solving. Um, And those characteristics are incredibly important for um, all kinds of jobs that you can apply yourself to outside of your speciality, even different species or or industries. Um, I've definitely seen that over time and even in myself as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if we're doing our job uh, in training our students, uh, we're helping them acquire the skills that they need to continue learning and and be involved in that process of discovery. Not just, hey, look at how much you know the day of your preliminary examination. And, you know, it's not about just what knowledge you have. It's really about what you're able to do with it and what else you're able to learn. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Learning something new every day. Every day. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wondered if you um, could you tell us a little bit maybe about just some of the general uh, challenges the industry is facing in Australia and maybe even just some of the opportunities where where you see things heading, maybe in the short term or even the longer term. Yeah, so definitely um, challenges similar across the board, uh, looking Mm -hmm. at kind of uh, you're always considering the future of the meat industry itself for broilers in particular. Um, so right. we've got the welfare um, challenges, the environmental challenges as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We've just had a few wet years in Australia, which has impacted the crops um, over time. Sure. And now we're about to go into potentially um, a, some dry year or years mm-hmm. going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, always changing, always challenging um, the feed safety and security there, trying to get the ingredients that you're used to. Uh, Definitely an aspect. Consumer perception as well, uh, wanting uh, different requirements in their products too is always a challenge, trying to deliver the same product at the same price but then meet new requirements um, as well, uh, like environmental or welfare uh, ethical reasons definitely mm-hmm. um, challenging keeps us in, keeps us employed anyway in trying That's to right. overcome these challenges. That's uh, right. Definitely, the biggest challenge though over the last few years, especially in Australia, has been labour shortages. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, just the and it's the people on the ground is the the, the ones that we're after. Uh, most definitely. Just uh, it, it is a labor-intensive industry. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of physical handling of um, materials and animals and products as well. And unfortunately, we're not there with automation, so we need people. Right. And right. Um, without them, things don't happen. So uh, that's yeah. been a massive challenge trying to fill in those kind of um, jobs. Mm-hmm. Is, is that a, a more of a change in what people are interested or willing to do? Or is, is part of it just demographics changing numbers of people, um, you know, in, in the ages where they would be working in those kinds of jobs? 
Yeah, I think it's definitely a combination. Um, I'm mm-hmm. no expert in um, this kind of social science either, but sure, sure. Uh, definitely looking at uh, it's just harder to employ people who are interested and passionate in that work uh, and happy to, to do it day in, day out, or at least right. um, for enough time to get someone to, to replace mm-hmm. them until they move on or up. So, uh, yeah. yeah, definitely it's, it's more so uh, losing kind of that younger uh, generation being interested in that kind of work. You definitely see a lot more older people coming in into those kind of roles than probably what mm-hmm. used to happen about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah, yep. And it's it's interesting. I want to go back to something that uh, that I read from your LinkedIn profile about your passion um, and offering sustainable animal based protein surfaces or sources um, for Earth's growing population. And I think a lot of people in the industry have that passion because they're thinking broadly about what we're trying to do, we're trying to feed people and offer something that can be healthy and done uh, in a sustainable way. I think a lot of, and I don't know that this is necessarily a younger person thing, um, but I've noticed even in my students, the focus is so much now down to the individual animal. And there's some value in that because it does keep us accountable to what is the best way to raise and treat this animal. But sometimes I think they've lost sight of the bigger picture of what we're actually trying to do with the industry. And that's provide food. And yes, finding different ways to do it, better ways to do it. But at the end of the day, that's really what we're trying to do. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, we're, we're trying to deliver the same outcome at the moment while changing what we're doing uh, in terms yeah. of improving sustainability, uh, reducing mm-hmm. um, the impact on the environment from all different aspects, whether it's the feed ingredients we're using, the emissions produced by uh, rearing birds, um, this is kind of where my PhD topic was in low protein diets. It's about reducing uh, nitrogen pollution from the farms or uh, looking at reducing the imports of soybean meal into Australia. So Mm -hmm. uh, definitely um, trying to improve the sustainability of an industry that's relatively sustainable uh, compared to a lot of other industries on surface level, Uh, Mm -hmm. looking at um, the efficiency of the of poultry is incredible. Uh, and so trying to, to keep it, keep it ahead of um, the rest is definitely part of the challenge. Yeah. I, it's interesting. You brought up the, the low protein diets because I, this is something I've wondered and I haven't worked in industry, but sometimes I, I wonder if the industry is set up in, in a way such that they understand that a sacrifice at this part of the grow out process will yield these overall more beneficial results. I think sometimes we're so focused on each segment of maybe it's the lowest price feed or the most rapid growth, or when, if we really step back and looked at the big picture, we'd see, okay, we can sacrifice uh, a little bit of growth because the overall gain in productivity is going to be greater for the company. I don't know if I'm expressing that very well, but no, yeah, I, I just wonder with things like low protein feeds, if, if industries are able to look at that from far enough back to see, okay, even if this impacts performance, there may be these other benefits um, that, that we could obtain. 
You're spot on uh, the argument of least cost formulation versus max profit. Formulation mm-hmm. in nutritionists is starting to get more and more lively. I'm seeing it pop up at conferences a lot more. Uh, mm-hmm. And the beauty is a lot of uh, meat chicken processes are integrated. Uh, and so they can capture this maximum profit from the right. whole production chain. Um, if, if they save a dollar or two dollars in broilers they can invest it in the breeders to help you know down the chain or uh, somewhere else and so you definitely um yeah this mentality is something that i think the industry will start moving towards um Mm -hmm. getting away from this least cost especially when uh each company is trying to do its point of difference as well Um, right yeah it would be similar in the states but you know, similar feed ingredients, similar genetics, mm-hmm. um, sure. similar customers. And so yeah. what's the point of difference? Um, right. And right. so, yeah, if you look at this max profitability uh, model into your company, you can definitely start trying to pinpoint where you can uh, save some costs to, to make some money. Right. And I think now um, a challenge, it's kind of an exciting challenge because this really, this really pushes us is uh, – also thinking about now, how can we work in consumer perceptions or environmental components into that overall big picture such that, you know, max profitability might mean doing things in a way that cost a bit more, but are going to capture a greater market share because it's being done in this way. Uh, so there's there's all these new components that I think really take take time to understand how to put value to those or how to understand. And it, and it shifts to people's perception shift. Oh, definitely. Um, I guess also you're looking at the scale as well. Mm-hmm. Um, most broiler processes aren't small companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if you do decide to make a point of difference um, or uh, change the way you're doing something, it's a big investment. And then you rely, you're relying on consumer perception to maintain um, along yes. that road, uh, mm-hmm. definitely. It's always a moving goalpost. Um, yeah. And, right. yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we, we've seen that, you know, in the, in the egg industry of uh, moving in some directions that consumers indicate they want. But then we also find out, and we kind of know this already, but uh, sometimes what people put on a, on a survey is different than their actual spending habits when they get into a store and have to make decisions about what they're going to purchase. So that's, a, that's a whole science and art in itself. <laughs> no, it's always um, interesting uh, in COVID. I know this story at my local, my local supermarket, um, seeing uh, with the, the panic buying that was occurring in Australia, um, buying you know as much food as possible for um, the reasons at the time. And, you did see these higher cost products um, that have, you know, that point of difference in the market uh, still on the shelves uh, mm-hmm. and everything else was cleared. And so people, yeah, definitely um, speak with their money a little bit different to what they wish to, I think. Uh, and, yep. uh, yeah, it, it's, re- it's reflected quite well in the egg industry, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And and as you mentioned, I mean, you have difficult, more difficult economic times will drive buying patterns, too. It may be that, yeah, if I'm a little bit more comfortable, I'll make this decision. But when times are tight, 
you know, it becomes more practical <laughs> to yes. go with this other alternative. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah definitely. Great. I wondered if you could um, just reflect a bit on, you, you've had the research experience, you've been through the PhD program and now working in industry. Um, how well do you see those areas synergizing and, and what are ways that we can perhaps work better together? Because sometimes it seems, you know, there, there can be a disconnect. Um, but, you know, when sometimes when you work too closely, then that brings its own challenges as well. So just wondered if you could reflect on that. Yeah, most definitely. Someone that's sat on both sides of the fence. Um, it is uh, always a challenge because the, the researchers are trying to get the best outcome for the industry as a whole. And the industry wants to have the best outcome as well, but not mm -hmm. necessarily for the industry as a whole. And so um, you definitely uh, have that kind of relationship to, to build and foster. Uh, I would say a model that definitely works in Australia is uh, there's a fair few PhD projects uh, where a supervisor will have to be an industry member. Oh, right. And they kind of, they act as a, a steering committee in one person, just, you know, keeping the project in line with uh, current industry expectations and goals, uh, definitely helpful. And um, because it's typically if the PhD is funded by not that company that mm -hmm. the person's from, uh, it kind of removes that bias as well and just it's more of a, yeah, a, a guidance thing. So I had someone on my PhD uh, supervisory panel um, who was an industry nutritionist and he definitely helped steer me into the, the right direction post-PhD as well. Uh, and now I've also got a PhD student who I've been um, mentoring as well to try and you know, help him out with the rest of his career because it's uh, oh. that, that perspective definitely helps from industry to keep it relevant and keep the options open for this person to continue in their career. Yeah, I like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes it, for those of us in academia, you know, someone from industry might ask questions that we think, well, that's kind of annoying. You're asking me to think about how this might be done in the real world. But boy, what a good what a good thing to reflect on and think about and just kind of keep you accountable to at least the hope that at some point what we're working on will have some relevance and some application. Uh, I, I really like that model. Yes, definitely. And the the, uh, the content I studied in my PhD as an outcome is something that I, is readily applied across the industry. So yeah. you know, seeing outcomes from your topic in industry within the five years of graduating oh. is, yeah, quite rewarding. That's pretty okay. exciting. Mm. Pretty exciting. And boy, because then you're seeing potential realized, which is, that's a wonderful feeling. Ex yeah, yeah. yes. Exactly. Right. So you've actually had, you know, we talked a little bit about research and industry. You had that government experience as well. And yeah. if we throw government into the mix, I'm, I'm just curious how, I think there's probably a sweet spot with how all can work together. But then I'm, I also wonder if a little bit of tension from research and industry and government is healthy to avoid just everybody going mindlessly in the same direction. Does that make any sense? You know, I've, yeah. I've, I feel like there could be some accountability in each direction, some cooperation, but maybe 
everybody totally on board all in the same way at the same time might not always be the best thing. But yeah, I'll, I'll let you respond to that. They're three very different models. I'll give you that mm-hmm. research, government, and industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've probably got uh, government on one end and industry on the other, and then research mm-hmm. in the middle, especially when universities operate more like a company. Right. Uh, so you definitely, uh, for anyone that's currently in research, uh, if you remove a bit of red tape um, and a, you essentially feel more like industry, if you add a bit more mm-hmm. red tape, you feel more like government. Um, that is so true. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, definitely with government um, has its uh, massive perks as well with the, I feel like the training and the um, uh, trying to keep to a high standard of work. You have to do the high standard of work to be able to, to get it across as well. Uh, it's yes. definitely um, challenging and important. And then in industry, it's uh, very fast-paced. Uh, decisions uh, can be made and implemented within minutes. Mm-hmm. It's very quick. Um, so government may take some time, but it's perfectionist type area. Industry right. is very quick and um, rapid. And research somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. You can make some pretty quick decisions, um, but things do take time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. One, this is this kind of going in a, in a little bit different direction, but I just want to get your impression because we've um, here at University of Illinois, we've done a little bit of work with insect protein. And I think in your background, you might have had a little bit of that work as well. And just your observations, I'm just curious where you may see that going, um, either in the near future or more distant future for the industry, especially. Yeah, no, um, I'm personally a massive fan of a diverse um broiler diet in terms of protein meals. So mm-hmm. I see a place for insect meal in the diet um, mm-hmm. as I see a place for all kinds of um, any kind of high protein feed stuff to put into poultry feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the massive hurdle, which is the one you'd be very familiar with, is scaling mm-hmm. up to the, yes. the levels required to satisfy a nice consistent diet throughout the year. Mm-hmm. The other aspect as well is the fat content trying to to acknowledge that as well and the challenges that may be posed. But, um, you know, uh, I definitely see a future for insect protein somewhere in the system, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that be uh, small producers, whether, you know, scaling up is a lot more easy to achieve. Sure. uh, And they can make it a point of difference in their product. Mm -hmm. Um, Or if uh, they're able to access a massive uh, waste material as well to be able to scale Mm. up even bigger to the bigger um, potential customers. Yeah, I I can see it working. It just needs to get over that big hurdle of um, actually being able to supply the industry readily um, enough. Right. I I kind of see this falling under the same very large umbrella of uh, moving into the future, really looking for... alternative sources and things that we can recycle or upcycle into, into poultry feeds so that they don't go to waste or go to landfills or whatever else might happen to them. I, to me, that's a really interesting um, potential area. Definitely. And they, they do um, homogenize essentially a very diverse, mm-hmm. uh, you know, byproduct. If you were to use food waste, one of right. I, it's challenges yeah. its variability. And so putting that through yes. a, um, 
black soldier fly larva colony would make it quite homogenous um, at the end. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So lots of, yeah, lots of opportunities, um, lots of exciting things and, and challenges facing us as we move forward. But that's part of what makes it an interesting uh, field to work in, I think. Definitely. It's always changing, yeah. always challenging. Yeah, it is. It is. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. Your partner for improving animal performance, Berg and Schmidt. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Start your journey with us at Eastman.com. Eastman serves veterinarians and nutritionists in agrochemical and animal health industries by helping them select, evaluate, and implement innovative nutritional programs. Eastman works with your team to customize your gut health approach in feed and water. Eastman's approach addresses nutritional and bacterial challenges and finds new ingredient preservation and hygiene solutions. Explore ways to accelerate and innovate your programs. Contact the animal nutrition team at Eastman.com. Well, we want to be mindful of your time. We are on different ends of uh, the daytime spectrum here for sure. Um, but as we kind of start bringing things to a close, we have our three questions that we would like to ask. And so I'd like to start with um, just your favorite poultry related book or resource that can be as broad as you would like it to be. But if you have a favorite, wondered if you would share that. Yeah. So Steve Leeson's Commercial Poultry Nutrition. Um, yes. was kind of, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I can see it on my shelf right now. Yeah, it's essentially a Bible for the poultry nutritionist. Um, mm-hmm. it, it may be a little bit um, getting a bit older, but um, mm-hmm. definitely really good for introducing someone into the world of nutrition, poultry nutrition, poultry metabolism. Uh, yeah, definitely something that I used a lot in my PhD. Oh, sure. I, th- I think if you're jumping into nutrition and trying to learn it simply from what is being done today, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. So there's some resources that have a, have a little bit of age on it, but I still find tremendous value in going back. Sometimes I just need a refresher on some of the basics and, yeah. and those kinds of resources are really helpful. Definitely. It's just a real neat package to have. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, how about if we move outside of the poultry world? Is there a, a favorite um, non-poultry related book or resource or podcast or it's kind of as, again, as broad as you'd like to make it? Yes. Uh, so one of my passions I didn't actually mention in my lead up to a career in poultry was my interest in dinosaurs or prehistoric life as a child. As well. Oh, wow. Uh, and the the research produced from poultry is incredibly interesting and innovating and relevant to me um but you know it just doesn't hit the same spot as hearing about uh the discovery of the new biggest dinosaur or anything like that and uh right there's a youtube channel called pbs eons that i i really like and uh i find myself watching it a fair bit to learn the latest in um a completely different field that gives my brain a bit of a rest from chicken digestion. 
Absolutely. You have to have that. You have to have something else that you can that you can devote a little bit of energy and, and some fun to because that that really helps you get back then to, to what the job is. But, yeah, some of those distractions are fantastic. I'm definitely jotting that one down. Excellent. Great. Yeah. Now let's circle back. We talked about it a little bit earlier uh, because I think what what you were mentioning earlier about conversations and networking uh, really fits nicely into this last question. Uh, But for someone who wants to get into a career in the poultry industry or into research or even uh, a related career in government, what advice would you have for for that person if they want to have that successful kind of long lasting career? Yeah. Uh, we've hit the nail on the head with the conversations. Um, just don't be afraid to uh, have a chat with whoever the contact is you've made. Um, if you are uh, got a friend working on a farm or uh, your lecturer, teacher, a family member, something, uh, have the one-on-one with them about your interest. Um, for me, it was that lecture at the end of my bachelor's degree uh, and yeah. just having that one-on-one, I didn't have to raise my hand in class and ask a question in front of a hundred people. I, I was able to actually um, go up and, and have a one-on-one, and then it all started from there and led me to to this yeah. tonight with you. So uh, definitely uh, the conversation, networking, and don't be afraid to to be friendly and talk about something that isn't necessarily chicken related as well. Um, That's right. Create create those personal connections too, because uh, the global industry itself is not a big industry. Um, Right. I would, I would say for poultry research and poultry uh, like the the poultry industry itself. And so uh, there's a lot of people to meet um, and a lot of, uh, people you'll probably meet a fair few times in your career if you were to choose one in poultry. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we don't always do a good job as, as faculty or even industry representatives of helping students understand how exciting it is for us to see a student showing any kind of intellectual interest. I mean, just the, the slightest bit of curiosity on the student's part is really exciting to us. And the, so the students don't understand how much we enjoy these conversations and, and relish them. They, they do have that anxiety and that fear, the intimidation, whatever it is. But boy, I just wish I could help them understand better how much we enjoy talking to a student who shows some interest. Yes, no, and that's the stuff you can't teach or train or buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the curiosity, right. the enthusiasm. Uh, and so if anyone obviously listening to this pod- podcast probably has curiosity enthusiasm in poultry. And so yeah. I would highly recommend they have that conversation because you don't need to be the top student in the class to be able to have a career you love um, and find rewarding. Definitely. That's right. That's right. Great advice. Great advice. And I'm excited for students who may be listening to this podcast because I think you've shared a lot of great food for thought, a lot of great advice. Um, Your story is one that uh, many young people would like to follow in those footsteps uh, to have the kind of career that you're often running in. And it's just very exciting. And and we sure do appreciate your time today. Thank you so much, Dr. Hilliar, for joining us today. Uh, And any any final thoughts you want to share? 
just thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to share my experiences and my thoughts. Uh, I implore, I'm very passionate about the poultry industry and I implore anyone interested to um, definitely pursue it. Uh, it's a very supporting and uh, interesting industry and career. Definitely. It is. It is. And you're right. It's not it's not a large industry, really. I mean, we, we look at number of birds and we think it's enormous, but there aren't as many people in the industry as there are birds by far. No, no so, way. Yep, yep, so, that's right. There aren't as many people on the planet as there are no. birds. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it is. A, it's an intimate industry, one where you really have a chance to get to know people. And we sure are thankful that we got a chance to get to know you better today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. And thank you to everyone out there listening. We hope you enjoyed it and look forward to uh, working with you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.